everybody and welcome to episode 3 of the Sunny 16 podcast. I'm Aid here again today as one of your hosts and my co-host with us is Graham. Hey guys, this is very exciting. This is the first podcast we've done where people have actually listened to something that's gone before. So um, with any luck, <laughs> uh, people who listen to the early ones are still there. If so, hey guys, thanks for listening. <laughs> And thanks for sticking with it. Absolutely. So, okay, well, we've got uh, another selection of, of finely honed, uh, well-rehearsed ramblings on film photography for the audience today. And I'd like to start off by saying that we are posting some results as our first topic of conversation, because previously we've talked about Graham's acquisition of an on-do pinhole camera and a fine piece of kit it is too. We now are, are fortunate enough that Graham is going to tell us uh, what the first results look like. Yeah, well, as I said last week when I got it, I pretty much <laughs> shot some film in it and dashed out as soon as I can, as soon as I could. The only film I had for it was the black and white, which isn't ideal at this time of year uh, because I live in the countryside and I work in gardens and everything's green and sometimes some other lovely colours as well, but there's not really a great deal in the way of contrast. But anyway, I didn't let that put me off. And I pretty much blasted through the film as quickly as possible um, just because I wanted to see what the results were like. When you only get six shots, it doesn't take a great deal of blasting. But but even so, I got impatient with it. I think it was Tuesday night. Uh, I was in at home with my partner and I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to try and take some pictures now because this seems like a good idea uh, at night time with, natural light, with um, artificial light indoors. So I just stuck with the a camera. Pin, with, hang on, with a pinhole camera, yeah, you decided that camera. indoors with a few, like, yeah, a few bulbs that that was a good time. Yeah, with with one hundred speed film as well. So, <laughs> and what drew you to this marvelously intellectual conclusion? <laughs> I, I just could. So, obviously, there's a lot of calculations and and workings out that you can do uh, to help you figure out how much time it's going to need. But I could not be bothered with that so i just plonked the camera down um on my scanner because it was the easiest place to plonk it down on well i'm going to open the shutter here and just leave it open until i get bored of that being a thing that i'm doing and i think it sat there for about an hour and three quarters and then i grabbed it off there because i'd had an even better idea by that point it was quite (laughs) (laughs) how could you surpass that i know i know um (laughs) It was quite stormy here on Tuesday night, but not particularly close. And I really wanted to try and get some pictures of lightning. So I got my digital camera out. Thought, oh, I'm going to try and grab some cool lightning shots. But lightning was coming really infrequently and I couldn't be bothered to wait for it. And it was quite a long way away. And so I was thinking, ah, I could really do something. I could just have the shutter open for a long time and just try and capture something. Hey, I know what I got that I can leave the shutter open a long time my pinhole so by this point it was pitch black outside so i closed down the shutter on my lovely lounge shot that i was in the middle of taking because i thought well that's definitely the right amount of time that that's needed because i want it for something else now which is always (laughs) the perfect amount of time and i just stuck my uh, stuck the camera on the window still looking out the window into the total darkness because there's no street lights or anything my house looks out onto a field behind it. So there's no, no lights out there at all. The storm by this point had pretty much all gone anyway, and it was a cloudy night, so there was no moon or anything. Uh, so about half past ten at night, I just opened the shutter, 
and then went to bed. <laughs> I had the one concession to making an effort is, again, I didn't bother calculating how much time any of this was going to need because who knows? It's a mystery none of us could ever figure out. But I did have a look to see what time the sun was going to rise in the morning. So I thought, mm, if the sun comes up, that's going to blast everything out completely. I think the sun was coming up at uh, about quarter to five in the morning, half past four. Mm. I was amazed. I didn't even know there was a half past four in the morning. I thought that was an <laughs> afternoon only thing. Yeah, welcome so, to my world, dude. <laughs> oh, so I diligently set my alarm for half past four, which never happens. Uh, and I actually woke up just before and I, my brain cleared up. Oh, time to get up. And it was just starting to get light outside. Woke up, ambled out of bed, <laughs> closed the shutter of my pinhole and went back to bed. And I was expecting nothing from either of those two pictures because why would you? I mean, I not calculated anything and I just thought, well, I'll give it a try. And I developed the, the film on Thursday and was amazed to find that both of those pictures had come out. The one in the lounge came out really well. Uh, the exposure was perfect. So it was a real triumph for just that. That'll do. <laughs> And even the six and a half hour nighttime exposure came out really nicely. It's quite dark, but of all the pictures on that first roll of film, I think it's probably my favourite because the the tones and the colour in the image, it just it feels like that time just before the sun comes up. So I was really thrilled with that. So yeah, <laughs> the joy of pinhole is that you can just. <laughs> this will be fine I'm sure and I think it definitely helped uh, I was using a fairly forgiving film like the Neopan as well and the other pictures came out okay as well but as I said the fact that I didn't shoot them at a great time of day and there wasn't much in the way of contrast around meant that they weren't they, they weren't hugely interesting they were fine but the camera itself uh, just continues to be a delight to use the one minor issue that I found with it was that in the tripod mount there was a little bit of wood glue or a lump of wood glue that had got missed in there when they were cleaning it out. And that makes it hard to get my tripod mount to the plate to sit in there properly wobbled about a bit. And I got in touch with uh, Elvis, real name, uh, Ondu Pinhole, sent him an email saying, look, there's this glue in here. Is there anything I can do to remove it? What do you suggest? And he replied really quickly saying that that glue is really hard. There's no way you're getting it out of there. And he said, if it's a problem, so it's re all... really quick, but not very helpful. Then. <laughs> uh, well, you know, he, at least he was up front and said, no, you're not getting out of there. And he said, if it's a problem, we want everyone to be totally happy with the cameras. We will send you another one. You can send that one back to which I replied, your prize is out of my cold, dead hands. Um, because there's, there's enough of the thread there for me to get a grip. And I actually used your suggestion from last week and got a little bit of um, <laughs> got a little bit of foam for one of those little jiffy cleaning cloth things, which is a couple of mils thick. Put that between the plate and the camera. And not only is my camera now secure on this tripod plate, but also the tripod plate won't scuff the bottom. So double whammy result. That Another... I am seriously impressed with. I don't yeah. normally give good practical advice like that. So <laughs> almost never, some might say. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> Um, but no, it's great. And another thing that I, I really like, the 
I'm, I haven't mucked around with it on this roll of film, but I definitely will in the future. And I think it's one of these things. I think uh, Dave off of the forums probably needs to get one of these cameras because of the way the winding works. You can just backwards and forwards this film to your heart's content. So if you want to do double or triple exposures, this is perfect because you don't just have to think, OK, well, roll it onto this film, onto this frame, take a shot on this frame and then take another shot on this frame. If you keep some vague idea or even just sketch out an idea of what's on each frame, you can reverse back a frame, go forwards. You know, you can go back to frame number one on your thing. And, and the possibilities with that seem uh, endless. Um, I'm not great at double exposures, but uh, as I said, Dave off of the forums is a legend. He's made some great stuff over the years, both with pinholes and all sorts of stuff. So um, I think he definitely ought to check, check these bad boys out. I, I think the results you've got are fantastic i mean that shot uh, it's on the sunny 16 podcast instagram account for for those who'd like to look at it that shot at the back of your garden uh, apart from being very jealous that you have such a nice field at the back of your house uh, i mean it's a fantastic shot and the, the the thought that you did that with a pinhole camera and it's a four and a half six and a half hour sorry exposure is just phenomenal i mean that certainly for me wins experimental success prize of the week if not the month yeah well it's it's early in the month yeah i mean we don't want to rush out this award um no i <laughs> um, i just continue to be really pleased with it and and also i really like the the formats the um the frame size and the camera's got laser etched guide marks on the top and on the side to give you an idea because obviously you don't have a viewfinder with it but these laser-etched march give, marks give you an idea of what the field of view is going to be, and that works really well to do help you, you do frame Do you really a, need to laser a, a, a piece of wood? <laughs> Aid, you need to laser everything. If you can laser something, you should laser If I had a laser, I would be lasering the living daylights out. Anything, everything I could get my hands on. So I think that's yeah, a crime so. now, especially if you point them at aeroplanes and stuff like that. Yeah, possibly, possibly. Well, um, in this case, it definitely worked out well. So, no, Diondu has just been, yeah, a real delight. I haven't put another roll of film in it yet because I really want to get hold of some colour film. I think the uh, there will be a lot more opportunity for me to shoot interesting colour shots at the moment because the gardens I work in are looking fantastic at the moment. They're full of um, beautiful flowers, and I want to be able to do something with that. So I'm going to get myself probably some Kodak Ektar ordered this week and jam a roll of that in there carefully obviously not so not jam a roll <laughs> not not jam a roll in there yeah you're right no, i think oh. i think ektar would be a really good choice actually i mean the saturation that you get from ektar is always fantastic and i think for something that you know because you, it's not so good for people often you want your portrait for that or something else you know like a 400h from fuji or something like that but for landscapes uh, uh, the sort of thing you take with a pinhole camera I think the Ektar would be a really good choice I, I, it sounds tragic I'm actually quite excited just about having some fresh colour negative film to try out some fresh high quality colour negative film because I mostly shoot either the cheaper films like the Agfa Photo or the Fuji Superior which is fine uh, or it really really expired film which with color is tends to be pretty much 
anyone's guess what that comes out like. And so the prospect of just getting some fresh, high-end colour film alone is quite exciting. So, yeah, fun sounds, times back in. Sounds good, sounds good. But let's, uh, be- before we go for the colour film, you know, I saw a photo on the Sunny 16 podcast Instagram account that uh, you had been hanging up negatives to dry from the on-do. And then the next thing I saw was that you'd scan them. So tell me, how are you scanning 6x12 negs? Well, <laughs> luckily for me, I use uh, an Epson V500 flatbed scanner. Uh, I bought it when I first got into shooting film. How many years ago we decided that was? Four years ago. And it's quite cheap when I bought it because it's sort of one of the earliest models that they made. I think I paid about £150 for it. And it still works fine. I'm still perfectly happy with it. I know they've made, I think they're up to V800 now or something like that. And I don't Which know what... clearly must be better. <laughs> At least I'm 300 sh- better. Oh, I'm sure it is. It's also a hell of a lot more expensive than mine was. Um, but the, the V500 is doing a great job. And they have uh, negative carriers for 35mm and medium format. And the medium format, will you can scan two 6x6 negs at once. So you can just get the 6x12 neg in there and scan that. Uh, and that's as big as you can get with the negative carriers, which means because I I'm having so much fun with this wide negative and uh, and the other wide negative camera, which we'll talk about a bit later, that I have been looking with avaricious eyes on the Ondu website. They, because as we talked about last week, I think they also make a six by seventeen panoramic camera. <laughs> which is a huge negative (laughs) i mean that's as you know three times the size of a six by six now and i i'm tempted by that because i talked earlier in the year uh, to you about the possibility of maybe getting a large format camera and that may still happen one day but at the moment i'm thinking i might get more fun out of just going really wide um I but, seem to remember I was quite encouraging at the time about that yeah, like, large format. Everybody was really quite encouraging. I think they always like, go on, do it. <laughs> we want to see how much of a disaster this ends up being. Because, I mean, Ondu also make large format pinholes, which is quite tempting as well. But I like the I like the idea of that super wide frame more than I like the idea of it being just a larger 4x5 size. Anyway, the crux of the problem is that if i go for the 6x17 scanning that negative in becomes a bit more of an issue and the only way i would be able to do that would be to put the negative directly onto the scanner bed and then put something on top of it and that can have issues of its own which i think you've actually hit this week haven't you because you were telling me you've been doing some scanning i have uh possibly for the first time ever actually uh i tend to be the sort of shoot it and then send it off to the lab person so i've never i i don't have a darkroom facility i've never played around in a darkroom facility and and i have absolutely no idea how to develop film at all uh that's one of the things that i'd like to do in the future it's just never uh something that's risen to the top of the list 
So I typically send my films off to the lab and then get back nice, you know, 12 megabyte, uh, not 12 megabyte, 12 megapixel or 15 megapixel scans. And over the years, I've changed labs and uh, I've got a list of two or three now that are, are really good at certain things. And that helps me get what I need out of the film photography thing. Uh, I'm, but I was playing around this weekend. Uh, playing around with a uh, some well, what you might call uh, a hybrid workflow, hybrid <laughs> in the sense that it's part digital and part analog, uh, and that got me into scanning for the first time. So to just to give you an idea of what I've been doing, it is kind of barking mad. I had what I call my Fuji Fuji Epson Mac workflow. <laughs> I, I think I think I know the moose that dance. <laughs> yeah it's quite catchy in a really really bad kind of a way it's all the region i beef this year is it oh well yeah. i wouldn't know yeah that that's fuji yeah. fuji epson max fuji, fuji <laughs> epson max it's gonna be big yeah i don't think it'll catch on as a photography workflow though because it's just a bit silly but here's what it here's what i was doing and this was an ex just some experimenting i was doing yesterday first off i wanted to use some instax Okay, I had some in the fridge. I was thinking to myself, you know what? I haven't used any of my Instax for ages. But I don't actually have an instant film camera of any kind. Uh, yeah, all right. <laughs> I know, I know. I've been reading up about it a lot recently to see what, you know, which one I should buy. But I haven't got to the point yet. Unfortunately, your choices are sorely limited these days. Well, they are, and I seem to remember that you've already encouraged me to buy three cameras in the last week and a half anyway, so... I know. <laughs> I was trying to use my cameras rather than just simply acquire more of them. But what I do have is the printer for the Instax Mini. Uh, it's called something like the really catchy, like the Fujifilm Instax Share SP1 printer or something like that. But it's basically a printer for instax it takes the 10 shot instax mini cartridges that you would put in an instax mini camera and it has them in a little battery powered printer and my fuji digital camera my xt1 can communicate directly to the printer wirelessly so i can flick through images on the screen on the back of my fuji xt1 and just hit the print button and it pops out an Instax mini image out of the printer that's sat on the table beside it. And then it takes, well, it's, okay, let's be generous. It takes about 15 seconds or so. And of course, what you get out of it is a completely blank film, uh, if film is the right thing, because it takes several minutes to develop. And it's amazing when you show this to, to children. As you know, I have fairly young children and I've, I've given it to them and they were amazed by it. I've, I've given uh, photographs to nephews and nieces as well and friends of my children and they were like well where, where is it where is the photo and I'm like, just wait a minute uh, don't no don't shake it no <laughs> it doesn't need shaking and let it come let it come and they all think it's amazing but the the fuji fuji epson matte workflow went a little like this i thought what i'd like to do is to save as a custom setting on my xt1 something that would allow me to print black and white to Instax because I know you can't buy black and white Instax but it's really good at black and white yeah yeah <laughs> it's no you much better at black and white than it is at color <laughs> yeah because you we did a photo walk around Oxford uh, in September last year and um like the nerd that you are you brought your printer with you <laughs> when taking out a group photo walk um it is a nice dinky little thing 
and you printed off uh, quite a few of these little uh, pictures for the people there who came, didn't you? I did, oh. yeah. Yeah, which I, is the I, joy of which is the joy of it because it's it's a fantastic thing for any any kind of event. I mean, you read a lot about people using them for weddings or parties or whatever, but even just something as simple as a photo walk, they can be a fantastic thing. Yeah, um, it's did, true. You, did I print some black and white then that day? Did you get to see some that I'd done? I think the one you gave to me was a black and white of uh, the picture of me that you gave to me was um, yeah black and white and as you said it came out really nicely I was impressed with it because the, there is something about that joy of having a picture straight away that instant photography gets you and although this is one step removed from that but it's still just nice to have a physical thing in your hand oh I, I yeah <laughs> uh, and, and yes Good. Yes. How, how do I follow a comment like that? I don't know. <laughs> yes. Yes. Maybe carefully. Moving swiftly on, pretending that nobody heard the double entendre. Fuji, there. Fuji, Epsom Max. Fuji, Fuji. Fuji Epsom. So the first Fuji, the first Fuji in this process is the Fuji XT1, with JPEG settings uh, that are optimized for the Instax. So this took me a whole packet of Instax to <laughs> to get the oh settings boy. right yesterday. Well, it's good you're a bit yeah. so cheap. It's it's not expensive. I mean, you know, a, no, a cartridge of 10. I mean, yeah, I'm buying at the moment off Amazon, I'm buying 20 shots for 14 pounds, 15 pounds. So would that would that make it 75 pence a shot? Yeah, I mean the outcome is is that I I went through I burned a pack of Instax Mini yesterday and I got four good shots out of ten. Oh well. And by when but when I say four good shots out of ten, I mean four where I had optimised the settings in the camera so that it would print nicely. Yeah. And now I've got them stored as a custom setting. So on my digital camera, I now have a custom setting which uh, for for all the JPEG creation or jpeg processing uh, that allows me to then print out and get a decent result out of the instax which is good okay so you've got so, your four you got your four pictures out of your instax printer right and yeah and uh, and then okay. i thought to so myself so we fujied and we fujied now let's get to the epsom bit are you trying to hurry me along yes <laughs> fair enough fair enough <laughs> The, uh, so I have, and I'll read off the front of it, an Epson XP860. Now, that's not one of the famous flatbed scanners like the V500 or, or the ones that have uh, you know, evolved from that. Uh, and it's not really a famous printer. What it is, though, is it's, a, it's I suppose, in some ways, it's a consumer grade, but a, a, a good consumer grade A4 edge-to-edge colour inkjet printer. And it happens to have a flatbed scanner built into it. So it's an all-in-one thing. Um, I only found that out yesterday because I thought it only had a sheet feeder and I was playing around with it and I was like oh there's a there's a flatbed excellent I was I really needed one of those I was I was actually trying to figure out where in the document feeder I could shove an Instax print (laughs) 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 to have any chance of it going through the mechanism and I lifted a lifted a a bit of the the printer these things are just black boxes aren't they I mean this one has a screen on it as well but you know it's not in my defense it's not always entirely intuitive where all the various moving parts are on a printer possibly I should have known Anyway, I found uh, the flatbed scanner 
and I then, uh, as you say, got into a little bit of bother with some scanning issues, uh, particularly things called Newton rings, which I had no idea were a thing until yesterday. <laughs> yeah, well, it's the kind of thing that you don't really come across in everyday life um, d- until you start doing something like scanning. They're a completely unfamiliar um, concept. And after my fun time explaining reciprocity failure last week, I'm going to leave you to explain Newton rings. <laughs> Ooh, touche, monsieur. Anyway, that's okay, actually, because I did quite a lot of reading about them yesterday evening. I'll see if I can recall that in anything resembling a coherent fashion. First off, I scanned an Instax print and it was clearly quite dusty. So I did what all good photographers do. I got out a lint-free cleaning cloth, the sort of thing that you'd use for a lens or the screen of your phone or whatever, really. Uh, And (laughs) Yeah, well, that was my first mistake, but I didn't know that at the time. And and I gave the the glass on my scanner a, a little bit of a rub down to try and get the dust off it, and then I gave my little Instax Mini print a bit of a rub down as well to try and make sure there were no fingerprints on it or dust on it, and and therefore everything in my mind was going to be nice and straightforward from that point on. So I ran the scanner a second time, and I got these funny rings on it. And when I say rings, uh, I mean it's probably best to Google Newton rings and actually see you know, what examples that people have, have scanned and posted on the net. But it's a like a diffraction pattern, the sort of thing maybe you'd see, or, or not quite, but the sort similar in in concept to the sort of thing you'd see in a in a car windscreen when you're wearing polarizing sunglasses. It's a, a diffraction of the light in a funny way that in this case makes a, a ring pattern. And really frustratingly, uh, it happened in the area, the highlight areas of the images that I was scanning, which, of course, being that I take mostly photos of people, were people's faces. So I was getting from my nice little scans, uh, people's faces with these ring diffraction patterns on them. And I had no idea what it was. I thought at first it was fingerprints. So I gave everything a jolly good scrub with the lint free cloth again. And it got worse. I thought, this isn't right. So I started Googling. And uh, after a little while of Googling, starting off with things like, you know, search queries like, how do you scan Instax? And, you know... Um, <laughs> Why would pa- you scan Instax? Well, okay, yeah, well, yeah, okay. No, I didn't Google that. Possibly that would have had the whole internet laughing at me derisively. But this is what I mean about it being an experimental workflow. So I eventually found by the power of Google, that Newton rings are an optical diffraction artifact often caused when a glossy surface like an Instax mini print or a film negative, I assume, is pushed close to a glass, the glass surface of the flatbed scanner and the way the light bends and the different speed of light through the different media mean that you get this diffraction pattern that then becomes visible in your scan and it's made a hell of a lot worse by static electricity which causes the negative or or the instax mini print to stick quite closely to the glass and of course 
although I didn't realise it at the time, my rub my vigorous rubbing of everything with a lint-free cloth had just built up a whole load of static in the scanner and in the prints. Yeah. <laughs> so I was making everything a lot worse by trying to make it better. Yeah. So is that the sort of th- is that the sort of thing that you were talking about? Because I learned all about this yesterday. It's a, an optical diffraction pattern made worse by static electricity and often to be found when you're scanning negatives or prints of any kind, I guess. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Where I've had this issue with it in the past is um, particularly with the the 35mm negatives, but sometimes with the medium format as well, different films have different characteristics. Some of them are more bendy, some of them tend to curve um, across the width of it as well. And it's these ones that tend to be slightly curved across the width because the, the negative carrier, if the negative is perfectly flat, keeps the neg about, I don't know, it's not very much, maybe a millimetre or two above the scanner, and you don't get this problem. But if that negative is curved and getting closer to or even touching the bed of the scanner, then you'll get these rings appearing in the middle where it's getting super close or touching. And when it first happened, I didn't know what was causing it. I actually thought when I first saw these rings that it was being caused by uh, a dodgy filter I'd been using. I'd shot some pictures using a red filter, and I thought, oh, well, that must be what's caused it. But uh, I've since learnt, since then learned what the problem is. Um, and it can be a really hard problem to get away from. Um, what I found works for me is that if I've got negatives that are being a real pain like that, I'll either flip them over and scan them the other way, or I will put them directly on the scanner bed and just lay some glass over the top of them. Uh, which gets them completely flat on there. You can get uh, anti-Newton glass, anti-Newtonian glass, to stop that from being a problem if you are scanning stuff. I know there's a company online, oh, I cannot for the life of me remember who they are, but they make negative carriers and stuff like that. But no, I wasn't aware that it was often a particular problem with film, with um, rather photographs, but I suppose it's probably a, a combination of the fact that it was so shiny and newly minted and also the fact the the scanner that you've got isn't particularly designed for scanning photographs it's probably the glass is not that well geared towards it uh uh, yeah it can be a real pain in the neck when you come across problems like that because you can't digitally remove newton's rings so it's um yeah oh well you've learned something from that experience then i i have and uh, I guess you could say I'm very happy to have learned it, but it was quite frustrating at the time. <laughs> yeah. It, it caused me to go back and think, okay, I know I've got an A-level in physics, but I can't for the life of remember what all of this stuff is all about. So, yeah, that was an interesting thing. And uh, the Mac bit, just to finish the, the Fuji Fuji Epson Mac dance, is, of course, scanning it into the computer so that I can then do things like post it on Instagram. And... Your next question, I presume, is... Uh, why? Why any of these? <laughs> <laughs> Almost like we rehearsed that one. <laughs> why go through the how many steps to get to the point where you... Yeah, I would love to know the reason. These are two reasons, and and they are both silly reasons. 
but these it's what passed for a Sunday evening's experimentation, so I uh, I shall uh, quite happily talk about them. The first is that actually it's slightly less silly. I don't actually have an instant film camera, and I had been curious about buying one. Can we, can and we so actually, I thought, sorry, go sorry. on. Well, we just uh, this actually probably is quite a good time to bring up because we we did have some feedback. Um, thank you very much to everybody who listened to because uh, it's two weeks ago now show we record this but we did get some feedback and um one of the pieces of feedback we got was from uh, simon on the facebook page who was asking about uh, our relationship with instant photography and obviously you you were just saying about the fact that you've not got an instant camera um and you've been looking into one um i think simon uses he uses an instax mini uh, the cute little camera that uses the same film you've used for this but just takes pictures and doesn't need another camera or a printer or a uh, scanner or a Mac to make it all work. Um, have you never had an instant camera? No, I haven't. But one of the things that I, I, I'm really curious about it, and I think the, the, the purchase of the Instax printer last year was a sort of first dip your toe in the water kind of experience. So, I, the, the th- what I thought I would do is I would simply create some Instax prints and then see if I could scan them with any degree of, uh, I think accuracy is probably the wrong term to use for instant instant uh, film in general and, and Instax Mini uh, especially, given that the digital resolution when you print an Instax Mini is actually only 640 by 480 pixels because that's all that will fit at 300 dpi on the what is essentially your, your your film exposure area for an Instax Mini? Yeah, uh, yeah. So this isn't about accuracy, but I'm curious. I was curious to think to myself, well, if I actually go out and buy an instant camera, would it work? And how might I work with it? And I've been reading into a lot. So there's clearly all the impossible photography, uh, impossible project photography stuff. They've yeah. now released a camera. Uh, which uses the film that you can buy from them. Uh, the added advantage of that is it's very creative because you never know what's going to happen. Uh, the slight disadvantage is that the prints don't really last very long. They fade uh, very quickly, sometimes in just a few weeks. So you have to have a hybrid workflow because you have to be able to expect to scan them. I, I, I've got um, a Polaroid 600 camera and that uses the Impossible Project film. And that's not the only disadvantage with it. I am really glad that the impossible project is a thing that's going. And I think it's fantastic what they're doing and that they are enabling us to keep shooting with these cameras and their stuff is getting better all the time with every new batch they bring out, they're refining it and they're, they're honing the process. But it is a tad embarrassing still when you say to somebody, Oh, I want to take a picture. They're always oh, a Polaroid, an instant picture. And you have to say, it's sort of when I take this picture I've got to instantly hide it away in the dark for about 45 minutes and it cannot see the light of day for that 45 minutes and then we can look at it it's not quite instant Um, and the other downside with it is that it's pretty cripplingly expensive the um, if you buy it from the store I think it's $17.99 for eight shots plus postage which then pushes it over well over 20 pounds and uh that's that's expensive and as you said the results 
are variable, which is great. I mean, that's part of the charm. I bought last year a six-pack of... (laughs) Obviously, it's going to be expired because I'm a cheapskate of expired Polaroid film. uh, Expired Impossible film, rather. And that has been, for me, really hit and miss because it's expired, so it's anyone's guess what's going to happen. And a lot of them, I've just got nothing um, at all because they've just not been light sensitive enough by that point um i don't regret buying it and but as you said all the prints have to be kept pretty much in the dark or they're going to f- fade so you need to keep them in albums rather than on walls but yeah i, I really like the impossible project stuff i love seeing the work that some of the really talented instant photographers are doing with it but it's it is expensive and um you you have to be prepared for the quirks that go along with it, particularly, as I said, the 45-minute development time. Yeah, that is a long time. But, you know, an Instax really will develop as you watch it. I mean, it takes a few minutes, but you can actually watch it, and you don't have to hide it away. You can keep it out in the sunshine. Uh, yeah. I think the, the general... The general consensus, from my research at least, is that the, the Instax film course is far more robust and and has far greater longevity uh, the downside being is it's slightly less creative and what i found yeah. personally is i don't like the color rendering on it uh, but i love the black and white rendering on it and the idea of being able to have black and white instax mini and not only that but not to waste loads of film with rubbishy shots but actually be able to choose which ones you you render that way is a very powerful combination you know a fuji xt1 in one hand and a printer and an instax mini printer in the other hand that will print you black and white instant film i know it's not philosophically the same thing and <laughs> but it it it, it kind of works and but i've been really intrigued by what what kind of camera would i buy buying an instant camera would i buy a, an instant uh, an instax mini camera uh, you know, they, you know, they've got uh, compactness and you know uh, cheapness on their side, uh, and they're what, so cute. Yeah, yeah. There's the slightly. What's the one that, that that's more retro and is slightly more grown up looking? Oh yeah, they, they bought out the new. Did they bought out the one that looks very much like the current Fuji range of cameras? Yeah, that looks quite swish. Yeah, I bought one of the one of the cute little bubble ones for my partner for Christmas, and she loves it. They're they're great. They're really good fun. The thing is that the choice is so limited now because out of all the um, instant film that I've shot the one which I, the pictures are the, the most attractive from is the pack film cameras I've got a Polaroid 110 land camera which was one of the most basic land cameras um, and it uses the Fuji pack film which Fuji have just discontinued <laughs> which yeah. is heart- heartbreaking um, because that's another hundreds, thousands, who knows how many, not just land cameras, but also all the people who are using them on the backs of things like Hasselblads and all the medium format cameras. Uh, it's all going to go away, and there is nothing to replace it, uh, and that's a real shame. In fact, Dave, I think what you ought to do is find one, cheap grab some film and, and have a go with it whilst you still have the chance because that's a lovely film the color rendering from that is fantastic and they also do an amazing black and white film which they discontinued a couple of years ago the 3000b you can still get hold of it but 
the prices continue to climb. But yeah, that film's lovely. It's a, it's a sad thing, isn't it, when that sort of thing happens. Uh, I'd been looking as well, or reading into the Instax Wide, the the double size Instax. Oh, I've got which... one of those. You'll be unsurprised to hear. <laughs> I think I probably knew that anyway, and I don't think I've ever heard you say anything nice about the camera either. <laughs> oh no, I like I, I like. I mean, it's a, a but ugly. Don't get me wrong, the camera is but ugly, but it works. It just works. It's great. Like the um, Mini, it just it does a good job of taking pictures. And if you want something that's going to be reliable and take you instant pictures, it doesn't have that unpredictable, soulful quality that you're going to get from the Polaroids. But it just works. And the film is way cheaper. And um, and the results come up way quicker. So, yeah, if you if if it's all about getting an image to share with somebody, then... Yeah, the Instax Wide and the Instax Mini have got a lot going for them. And the Instax Mini, I have the advantage of being able to print black and white as well. It's a tough one, isn't it? Anyway, that was my experiment. I know we've rambled on about that for ages. <laughs> but my, my Fuji Fuji Epson Mac experiment has yielded all of about four shots for a whole evening's worth of work <laughs> uh, that uh, are not as we speak on the Sunny16 podcast Instagram account, but will be by the time we publish this. And uh, I'd encourage everybody to go and have a look. Okay, it's only a scan, but have a look at what they... and, and comment on what they think about the scans of a black and white Instax and see if that does anything for anybody. I'm sitting here holding them you know you shuffle through the Instax like you've got a pack of cards, don't you? Because that's just what they feel like in some ways. And uh, to give people an idea, uh, I set up simply a uh, a two foot by two foot softbox with a grid on it and one, one speed light in it in the living room. My kids were having some downtime. They were doing things like playing computer games and stuff like that. And I just yeah, fired off a couple of shots uh, with the digital camera and then printed them out. So what you've got is, um, uh, well, uh, the, obse- uh, the observers, the audience will judge whether they like the lighting or not, <laughs> but at least these things are uh, sort of purposely lit photographs uh, uh, of a couple of young children just chilling out. Um, I won't put up on the internet the ones where they're making foolish faces at me. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad enough seeing it in real life, let alone seeing it on the internet every time I switch it on. So, you know, have a look and, you know, be good to hear some comments on the on the Facebook page or on the Instagram and, and see what people think of, you know, uh, black and white Instax Mini. Uh, can you get past the sacrilegious nature of the workflow uh, to appreciate the artisticness of it, if artisticness <laughs> is the right word? And I had a, I had a well of a time. Um, I'm really looking forward now to doing more Instax stuff with a setting on the camera that actually allows me to print black and white instax prints with you know with reasonable results as a as a as a one hit thing rather than having to do each print three or four times as i did yesterday afternoon now to think that's the thing though isn't it it's, it's all about the fun of doing these things and um if you're getting good results out of it as long as you're having fun uh, well the internet will judge you ada because that's what the internet does and i I hope it judges you harshly as it should (laughs) whilst we're catching up on your adventures uh, i'm really keen to because i know you you've got follow-up on the pentax auto 110 story of two weeks ago now so uh, how did that come out because i want to hear about this mixed (laughs) 
Like your nuts. <laughs> Speak for yourself, sunshine. <laughs> so I, I take you got the roll of film that you shot Son's battery. You got it developed then. Actually, no, I haven't. Uh, that's not the story, actually. The story is something slightly different because what I did is, having realised that I, I, I had shot a roll of film without batteries, I then went to rectify that and put some batteries in the camera <laughs> and went for a walk. Uh, as sometimes I do, uh, it was a walk to work, so it was along the south bank of the Thames one sunny morning uh, a couple of weeks ago. And what happened was... In the viewfinder of, of the Pentax Auto 110, there is an LED, and it's completely automatic, so it's not that you're supposed to do anything, it just shows you whether you've got a uh, an exposure that's within the range of the camera to cope with. So it has a range of exposure values it can cope with by varying the aperture and varying the shutter speed and making an estimate of what your ISO is. And you get a green LED, if you are within the range that it thinks it can cope with, if you th if it thinks it can cope with it, but that the shutter speed might be slow and there's a risk of you know, camera shake, it gives you uh, an orange LED. But neither of those, or I should say partway through the film, neither of those were working. And I thought to myself, well, has the battery's got dislodged? Because having had a, a battery issue with it already, I, I immediately jumped to a conclusion that the batteries might be uh, something to do with it. And... Once again, I was caught by the design flaw that is putting the batteries in the same compartment as the film. Well, what sort of dumbass idea of <laughs> <laughs> camera design was that? Was this like, oh, sorry, I was out on the whole not letting any light in day at camera design school? <laughs> <laughs> it does make I'm, it a little bit hard to check on these things halfway through a roll, I'm guessing. And and not only not only was I out the day they did it in class, somebody had torn the page out of my textbook as well. <laughs> and this is like this is really but you'd think as a camera designer, right? Really basic stuff. Make it so that you can operate it without letting light in. <laughs> Unless you choose to, through the shutter. Yeah. It does seem like a fairly fundamental part of the design. The only upside is that, of course, a 110 cartridge has a cassette at each end. Yeah, so you can only so lose actually, one frame at a time, right? So, well, I don't know. I will find out. Um, <laughs> sitting on the desk here in front of me is a finished cartridge alongside a cassette of our 35mm film of the month. And the 110 cartridge is, it will get posted off to the lab uh, to find out what happened so yes i had to open the back of the camera a couple of times to just check that the batteries were seated correctly so of my 24 exposures if i get 16 back i'll be you know actually if i get 16 back as yeah that, that'll be all right uh if you really uh, I, I don't know quite how much because you can look at yeah i mean with a 110 cartridge you can see that actually there's only the neg you're shooting and a little bit either side that is outside of a cartridge at any one point but how far the light goes in around the spirals i don't know so well, it might be that if i opened the back of the camera twice while the film was loaded i may have lost the one i was shooting and one either side so i might have lost six out of the 24 so i might get <laughs> nah. yeah, I suppose I might get 80 left i don't know 
No, nah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I'm guessing you very sensibly did it in subdued light, so it'll be fine. No, no, no. I was just walking along the banks of the River Thames in a sunny morning at the time. I sort of <laughs> oh, tried to hide it in my jacket, but that was about it, really. Uh, I, I may have stopped underneath a bridge in the shade or something like that. But <laughs> and did you ever look up what the camera defaults to without a battery? No, I didn't. Why? Well, oh. uh, mm, did I? No. You need to send. You I need did to go send shooting it anyway. But the, the point is, it really doesn't matter. What it does because you've got a roll. Because you've got a roll of film. You need to send off because we need to see what's on it. You need to send that roll of film off that was non non batteried. Oh yeah, true. I do, don't I? You do. I yeah. That. I'm not sure where that is now, actually. Because like this camera I've got in my hands now. Uh, this is a bad example, but um, I, I picked it up early because I was caught by its glittering goldness. <laughs> this is a an Instamatic camera. Uh, I bought it from a table sale in my local town. The only reason I bought it, because obviously Instamatic, you can't get the film for, but this camera's got lovely gold plastic trim. (laughs) I was drawn to it like a magpie to glittery things. Um, And this one has has obviously got electronic eye in it. And what I was surprised about with this is that um, with this one, it's got no battery, no living battery. When you press the shutter it just opens the shutter and does not close it again. So without a battery, this is completely useless. So I wonder if yours does the same thing. And until you cock the shutter again, it doesn't close it. So they all so, have different behaviours when they are. So I know that the, the Pentax Auto 110, because it's an SLR, you can see when the shutter's open or not. Uh-huh. And it did click properly. Although, oddly enough, even when the batteries were in it, it didn't, you know, that particular roll of film that day, it didn't actually close the shutter every time <laughs> so I, i'm i'm gonna send yeah the one from the other day i'm gonna send off to the lab and i have no idea what i'm gonna get back from it it might yeah it might be very little but hey what send the them both send them both off to the lab it's i have to find to... the other one first i really genuinely don't know where it is so i shall have to find it and then work through it but yeah it's uh something that we're gonna uh have to wait and see Yeah, I think that's brought us all caught up to date now on previous discussions, aren't we? I think. Well, on to the on, on to the uh, the subjects for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, moving on. There is a topic that we need to talk about today, which is that both of us have been shooting with the film of the month. Now, a couple hey, of weeks what ago, what is the film of the month? It is. Hang on, let me read it off the little canister here. Ag for photo Vista Plus 200. And helpfully on the canister, it says film for colour prints. <laughs> it's good. It's nice to make it clear. It is. And I have to say, I went into Poundland, my local Poundland, at the weekend, and they didn't have any at all. Well, it's lucky for you that you've got a kindly benefactor who posted you some down. <laughs> it is. And thank you very much, sir. It is very, very much appreciated. Always a pleasure. Well, and I chose to shot the film of the month in uh, my marvellous new, as reported on a previous podcast, my marvellous new cosmic symbol, Lomo, not quite like a Leica, 35mm camera. And I had a whale of a time doing it. Now, I seem to remember, though, that as I talked about acquiring a cosmic, you were a little down on it. I, I was, I was, and um, 
I have to say, after talking to you about it, I thought, am I being harsh about this camera? And I know you spoke to you in the week and you said, oh, I've loaded up my my Cosmic with film. I'm going to take out and shoot. And I thought, I'm going to go back and I'm going to load mine up with film and shoot too because I need to see if I was just being harsh. So I, I want to hear how you got on and then I'm going to let you know how I got on with mine. <laughs> fair enough. That sounds like a fair trade. I really enjoyed it. Now, my Cosmic, after it arrived, uh, it arrived in an ever-ready case. You know, one of these 1970s fold-over... I don't know whether it's leather or not, but it's a pretty... It's, it's st- not. <laughs> I can it's tell a you pretty that. stiff case. Yeah. Well, it's from a period of time where it could conceptually be real leather before people invented not real leather. But I suspect it's plastic. I, I would hate to meet the animal that this came with <laughs> if that's ever been... <laughs> All right, okay, you got me. So, did, did you it, like the feature of the Ever Ready case where you can't actually unclip the back of it? It just kind of hangs awkwardly at all times. Does yours have that lovely feature too? It does, and actually what I did in reality is I unscrewed it from the Ever Ready case and just threw it in my everyday small camera bag uh Probably we should have a podcast topic about camera bags at some point, but I have... Uh, <laughs> no, we should not. <laughs> oh, well, okay, well, maybe maybe not then. But I, I have uh, a much-loved donkey something or other tiny Oti? camera bag. <laughs> yeah, Dom Quixote, yes. That's exactly the camera bag I have. <laughs> the Dom Quixote. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway... Uh, you're absolutely right, the Everdy case was rubbish, but what it does have as an advantage is that the cosmic symbol camera inside it is absolutely pristine. So there is barely a scratch on it. The film wind-on, which is notoriously unreliable on these things, actually worked perfectly. The aperture adjustment, the little fiddly thing on the front of the lens remains fiddly but it was firm enough that it didn't move once i put it in place which was really useful in fact actually the only thing i could say against it is that the focusing mechanism was really loose so mm-hmm. actually the manual focusing of the lens turning the lens to manually focus was actually really loose uh, not so loose that it sloshed around when you're actually trying to take a photo but you know if you're walking around you with it you'd absolutely have to make sure that you checked the focus for every shot as uh, the, the, there would be no setting it to a hyperfocal distance and just leaving it there all day because it would spin around a little bit uh, but that was the only downside of mine and i really enjoyed shooting with it i took out a little light meter because it doesn't have a built-in light meter of course the light meter i have is the Sekonic tiny 208 maybe something like that uh, but a little analog light meter uh, that just takes a small battery, and I sort of waved that in the general direction of uh, you know what I was taking a photo of, and sort of hid it from the direct sun, so I could sort of tell what the light was like where I was, and then guessed at the exposure beyond that. <laughs> uh, and uh, I've shot a whole roll of it, a whole roll of the Agfa Vista 200 film for color print. And you, you've got it out and it's all ready to go. I've got it out and it's all ready to go. I've just, I am looking at it right now. It is going to be popped in the post and off to the lab. Or maybe, as you suggested last week, uh, dropped in at my local boots. It is the sort of film that looks like it should be dropped in at the local boots rather than sent off to an expensive lab. Yeah, if five quid dropping from boots and be done with it. So 
I might do that, which would be a novelty for me anyway, because I post all my film away, which so it'd be good to test out uh, a local boots and see what they make of it. Um, but tell me, how did you get on with your cosmic? You know, it it takes the bigger man to say that he was wrong in his opinion on something. And looking back on what I said last week, I'm really hoping that you can be the bigger man about this and say you were wrong. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was definitely not. Um, I had a summer fate. Well, we're in Britain here, so we have summer fates to go to. And it was the Queen's birthday this weekend. And my boys, um, the school my boys go to, the, the village there, they had the fate. So, okay, well, not so much, oh, this is the perfect thing to take this camera to. It was more a case of, well, this is the only camera I have in the bag, so this is the one that I'm taking. And I just as before, <laughs> I found it just frustrating to use. The shutter mechanism, you have to cock the shutter before you use it. So there's a little cocking mechanism down on the right-hand side. Now, I've got big manly hands because I'm a big manly man. And that when you press the shutter, half the time, that thing would catch on my finger I don't know whether it actually slows the shutter speed or not, but it can't be doing the mechanism any good. So that was annoying. You're right about the aperture ring, which you yourself described as fiddly. And whenever you change the aperture, you are also going to be changing your focus distance. And uh, and the winding on, it was fine. The thing is, with this camera, is that you know the results are going to be somewhere in the region of CAC. Uh, or at least interesting. <laughs> And I don't have a problem with that, but it's fiddly. And the other camera I've been shooting this week, which I'll talk about in a minute, is, uh, and, and also things like the Diana, and I don't know what the Hog's like, but the other sort of toy cameras, which have kind of no settings on. You can just kind of go out and go, well, the pictures are going to be what they're going to be, but at least I don't have to make any effort with them. I can just enjoy shooting. Whereas with this, you have all these controls and these fiddly things. I didn't bother with the light meter, obviously. I'm not crazy. I just I skip straight to the part where you guess. Um, but you go, okay, quick, let me just adjust the shutter speed, adjust the aperture with that fiddly thing, and then cock the shutter. and take. And it's, oh, God, there's so many steps to take one picture. There's like five different actions, and none of them are convenient. Um, <laughs> Do you know what? I... I completely agree <laughs> well th this argument was easily won and and um and the other thing is and then now admittedly i have to take some responsibility for this myself because there is an arrow clearly marked on the return winder but i wasn't looking at it because i was busy and i just assumed that like every other winder on a camera it winds in the opposite direction to the way the you know the wind on button works so i was like okay well i finished this roll of film oh another thing i found just whilst i'm complaining about it is that sometimes i'll wind on to the next shot and then i'll maybe put it in my pocket and i think the catch that stops it from winding on too far just shifts and then i end up being oh did i wind it on well, i can wind it again so i'm sure there's gonna be blank frames on this roll of film but anyway i went to wind it back wasn't looking and just started winding it back 
clockwise, which is the way you, you with most cameras, you're winding the film back onto the roll. I was like, come on, this is a, a bit tight. Um, the reason it's a bit tight is because you shouldn't wind it down <laughs> with a cosmic. You wind it the other way because it's got cogs and stuff. And anyway, I ended up unscrewing the winder thing and it all fell apart a bit. And, um, <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> um, That's really, I, I have, I don't think I did anything other than normal. Yeah, I mean, almost oh, no, all cameras, not. you would rewind... You would rewind clockwise, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, but you don't with the cosmic. That's the thing. If you look at your cosmic... Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm holding it in my hand. The reason it's rattling is it's now a two-piece set. Um, (laughs) Oh, okay. Anyway, here's a pro tip. Uh, (laughs) A pro tip for a cosmic. (laughs) Well, pro tip for anyone who's shooting any film cameras, really, but particularly if you're shooting uh, the wonkier end of the film cameras, have a dark bag buy yourself a dark bag because what i had to do was when i got home is put the camera in a dark bag pop the back open pull the film out wind it back onto the roll in the dark bag and you know do all that so i didn't lose the roll of film which was fine and then i was able to take the top plate off this high-tech camera and put the cog back in where the cog needed to be but i couldn't unfortunately put the turning handle back on because that's i i can see how it fits together but how you're supposed to fiddle it back in i don't know so it's now a two-piece set so have you, have you never heard of having sympathy for the machinery i've, I've heard of it i do not you're a it. bloody vandal you are um like, poor cosmic what did it ever do to you it made me have no fun shooting it but that's the thing as i said to you is that the results will be what the results are i don't have a problem with that but it it just requires so much effort to get these results, whereas the other camera that I've been shooting this week, this little beauty, the Vivitar IC101 Panorama, this camera, solid gold, plastic, all the way through. Uh, I don't think there's a single metal element in here. There may be a spring somewhere, I guess. I bought this camera for a pound from a charity shop, mint in box. Uh, (laughs) It's... um, a focus-free camera. It's 35 millimeter. Uh, it's panoramic, which means that they just cropped the frame with the camera. And it has a a red button that you push to take a picture, and it has a thing to wind on. There you go. And that's the entire shooting experience. And there's nothing else you can do with it. You can't. It's focus-free. You don't. You don't focus this thing. It's focus-free. It's quite wide-angle, and it's. I guess the aperture is probably. I don't know, F8, F11, somewhere like that. It's got good depth of field on it. It's got all the depth of field you need. I shoved the Agfa Photo Vista, blah, 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 in there. Went out on sunny days, mostly, although it did vary a bit. And because you've got nothing else to think about, apart from framing your subject and hitting the shutter, it's just so freeing. I had so much fun with this little camera. Also, the fact that it looks real dumb uh, means that... You never get people thinking, oh, who's this photographer trying to... It's like, <laughs> who's this Wally with a toy camera? And uh, and the other thing I really like about it, we talked last week about the fact that... Was it last week or whenever it was? About the fact that you like using these wider cinematic crops, which yeah. I'm guessing, that particularly with your... Well, with all this stuff, you're, you're shooting the pictures and then cropping them afterwards to get the look you want. I found that 
having that be the view that you get to the viewfinder completely changes the way that I'm looking at pictures. Suddenly you're seeing things and framing things in a completely different way. And I really enjoyed that experience. I dropped the roll of film off and got it back. And the pictures aren't amazing. It's a plastic lens camera, so they're not going to be sharp. And I was just wandering around my local town grabbing what I could. But uh, I, I had fun shooting with it. And the results were plenty good enough. And uh, the Agfa film, I mean, getting back to this film of the month, that, that film holds up pretty well. I used it in a variety of conditions uh, with this fixed lens and fixed everything and did pretty well. When I scanned it in, it was coped with blinding sunlight and coped with you know slightly overcast days equally well. So it's not the most punchy or saturated film, but it, it's doing quite well. So... But you were slightly dismissive of these panoramic cameras, weren't you? Me? No. <laughs> yeah, because what else did you get in your package of film joy? My package of film joy, I, yes. Uh, I, I sometimes am at a loss on how best to thank you. <laughs> I, I'm not even sure that this is branded. Um, so you sent me, as well as the two, uh, two rolls of film of the month, you sent me uh, a cardboard box that says panoramic camera on it and <laughs> on the camera itself again it's sort of a it, within the cut within the cardboard box is what i can describe as a plastic box with a hole in the front <laughs> 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 and they're all resemblance to a camera ends <laughs> hey it might be listening <laughs> now look i realize that you're probably slightly envious because yours isn't gold <laughs> I didn't know that yours was gold, but no. Oh, so it, let, let me yeah. let me let me make sure that I do this justice, right? So this is new in box, uh, it, a cardboard box <laughs> that has a photograph of a panoramic photo on it, um, clearly taken by the camera in question uh, of some mountains with a lake in the foreground, um, and the. Uh, panoramic camera uh, you know it's a panoramic camera because it says panorama on the front of it and it also says wide pick panoramic lens on the front of it which i'm pretty sure i haven't used it yet but i'm pretty sure is exactly what you just said about yours which is it's it's basically a, a letterbox to 35 mil exposure oh yeah uh it's focus free uh which is nice <laughs> That's the same as autofocus, basically. It is, isn't it? And uh, I opened the box expecting to see somewhere where I might put, I don't know, at least a small battery or something like that. But no, uh, no battery was required. So I'm guessing there must be a bit like a Holger or a Diana or equivalent. Uh, there must be a spring inside there somewhere uh, that fires the shutter. Whatever the shutter speed might be, um, kind of irrelevant, really, as you said. I, I think, actually, I had a quick look. I think it's 125th of a second with yours, I think. I, I was able to find some details out. I, I think it's... I didn't want to look for my... Like, it's probably around that for both oh, of them. Well, that's, that's good, because I, I, I mean, not a, inside the cardboard box is a, is a, a little plastic carrying case, a, a pleather carrying case, uh, and also a sheet of instructions. I, I'd go... Not sure I go quite so far as to call it a manual, more of a pamphlet than a manual. <laughs> um, I did have a quick squiz at it. It said what you should do is open the back and put the film in and then shoot. <laughs> See? <laughs> How perfect is that? I mean, th- th- it, that automatically makes it the best camera. But just open the back, put the film in and shoot. 
It's a, it's a delight. And I hope you appreciate that that camera cost twice as much as mine did. I was, I was actually out wandering around town with my Vivitar panoramic camera, and I ambled into a charity shop and saw that for £2, which is a huge expense, £2. I thought, well, I've got to have that because I was having so much fun. Yeah, they're great. There's, there's pictures up on the Instagram feed already of shots that I've taken with this guy, and uh, Aid assures me that he's going to put a roll of film in the one I just gave him. Didn't you did assure me of that, didn't you, Aid? Oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah totally. Yeah. I just have, I just because the cosmic was new, I couldn't resist the lure of it. So that the first roll of Agfa had to be for the cosmic because it was my brand spankingly new arrived thirty-five mil camera, and it, it it was just calling out to be used. So. Well, I I know how that feels because uh, I've I've put uh, I just put a roll of film into my new camera. Because, what new, well, hang on, another new camera. Because inspired by the plasticky goodness of the Vivitar IC101, I thought, yeah, I want more of that. So I have got my grubby little mitts on an even more plasticky and even more smaller Vivitar Ultra wide and slim. Um, it sounds the, like a cigarette. I know, it looks like a cigarette <laughs> box. It's about the same size as a cigarette box. It's great, uh, unfiltered. Um which is, again, just completely plastic. And it's uh, F22, not F22, um, 22 millimeter lens on this. This is going to be good and wide. So I'm really excited about taking that out and playing with it. That's loaded up and ready to go. I have also, just because I feel like I ought to do the film some justice, loaded a roll of the film. <laughs> because believe it or not, when I, I bought that camera on eBay, the Vivitar Ultra Wide and Slim, and the uh, eBay seller who sent it really quickly uh, included. Two cartons of, you guessed it, Agfa Photo Vista. Oh, really? Two cartons. <laughs> two, two boxes, you know, right? two rolls of film. Oh. So I've got two more rolls of film now. So I've also loaded one into my Practica LTL, whatever it is, I can't remember. Um, loaded into that, and I've stuck on there the my 135mm lens to try and actually shoot it through some decent glass well actually just through some glass i don't think i've shot any through any glass yet it's all been plastic so um so i'm all geared up and ready to go this week with the agfa film exciting times it is exciting times i'm i'm i tell you what i'm looking forward to the results from the cosmic because this is really going to be uh toe to toe mano a mano you know same kit who can get the best out of it that's true. Well, you may have to wait a while because with my role of film from the Cosmic, I am actually very seriously thinking of taking a cue from Dave off of the forums and getting a colour developing kit to do that at home myself. Because oh, um, right. I've thought about doing it for a while and I've got so much expired film and stuff like that that after a while it gets a bit costly to keep taking it to boots and also just a bit of a pain in the neck. And I'd like to do some cross-processing with some of the very expired slide film I've got, which I can't do at Boots. So I think I might get myself one of the um, Tetanol C41 kits and have a go at doing that at home. So oh, I'm... that definitely sounds like a topic for a future episode of the podcast to me. Yeah, yeah, should be good, should be good. <laughs> okay, all right, well, maybe we will have to wait then. Uh, which is a shame because the whole point about the film of the month thing is you're not supposed to have to wait too long. But there we okay. go. Well, that's true. I, that, well, we'll see how that goes. If, if, if it's looking like it's going to be too long, I might just shove those to boots also. And okay, fair enough. All right, I think that probably brings us to the end of today's jolly recording. 
I think it does. Before we wind up, I would just like to say a couple of quick thank yous because, as we mentioned at the start, this is the first show that we've recorded since our first show went live. And thank you so much to everyone who subscribed and who listened to the podcast and who gave us some feedback. And I particularly want to say a thank you to a, a guy on Instagram, at a story of pieces on Instagram who gave us some really useful feedback on the podcast and who has also been inspiring me with his pictures because this guy takes fantastic shots with uh, plastic cameras, Dianas, Holgers, all sorts of stuff, and he's using filters on them, and they look amazing. Uh, and, and even the debonair, I, I was... <laughs> I, when he left the feedback after episode one, I was like, oh, no, he's going to listen to episode two where I throw my debonair under a bus and that'll be the end of that. So if he's still listening by episode three, uh, that'll be great. But, um, yeah, check his feed out on Instagram. Really great, interesting shots on there. I mentioned Simon earlier who um, got in touch with us on Facebook. And I also want to say a thank you to my buddy Jules who subscribed and listened to the podcast all the way through despite the fact he has no interest whatsoever in photography film or otherwise uh, i can't imagine it would have made it to episode three but thanks buddy anyway <laughs> well, there you go so the process is working uh, we have some subscribers uh, and they're listening and uh, we've got some conversations going on which correct me if i'm wrong is pretty much the reason we're doing this in the first place absolutely so, yes, thank you, everybody. Uh, I'd like to say thank you to uh, Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com, whose music we use for this podcast under a Creative Commons license. And, of course, thank you to Chris at pixelatedphotographer.com for technical assistance and hosting of the longer-form conversations in the forums. Uh, please all uh, check us out on instagram and facebook and those forums and graham can you just give us a quick reminder of the instagram and facebook accounts yeah the uh instagram is at sunny 16 podcast that's the number 16 uh facebook is the same it's the sunny 16 podcast facebook page find us on there and uh you can get in touch with us by email if uh, you want to have a chat that's always good or ask us a question like what are we doing and why are we doing this which is sunny 16 podcast at gmail.com alright oh the one other thing um, which we'll mention is we have started a Flickr group as well for I know some people are Flickr users rather than Instagram and also the great thing about Flickr is it could be easier to see pictures a little bit larger than Instagram so that's again Sunny 16 podcast on Flickr at the moment I think the group has two members that's me and uh, you aid um, but <laughs> we have got pictures in there that we've been talking about on the show so swing by there if you want to see that and if you've got images that you want to share with us on there re relating to or just film pictures in general we'd love to see them I, I'm really enjoying uh, Instagram at the moment just exploring what other people are doing with film and having a, a great time seeing people's work out there so please share what you're doing with us it's fantastic to see it absolutely please do okay well this has been episode three of the sunny 16 podcast and we will see you next week for episode four thank you very much and goodbye bye everyone there we go another triumphant finish